The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Brothers and sisters, let's take our Bible this morning and turn to your favorite passage in the Bible, the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter number 3. I'll give you about 20 minutes to find it. (laughs) Zephaniah is a wonderful book in the Old Testament. It is part of a group of books called the Book of the Twelve or the Minor Prophets. And um, they are minor prophets with major messages. And uh, it's a wonderful Old Testament passage speaking and foretelling, and this is the lectionary reading for this week. So we think about the concept of joy at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas. This is a great passage on joy, and so uh, join me in reading silently as I read out loud for our church today. Zephaniah chapter number 3, verse 14 through 17. Would you stand one last time in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I know you probably already got settled down and Got the mint out. and Zephaniah chapter number 3, verse number 14 through 17 reads this way. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away His judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in His love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Let's pray. Our Father, we love You so much. We thank You for the beautiful music today for the baptism, Lord, for uh, our dedication of these families with babies who need to grow up in Christ. Lord, we thank you for our children singing for all of this time, the giving, the praying, our Bible study hour. What a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. We just thank you and bless you and praise you. And now we ask as we read this passage on joy that you would move away the anxieties and fears and frustrations of our life. For those that know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray that we would rejoice without inhibition, that we would find our joy in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that our church today, with a resounding shout of joy, would give you glory and honor and praise, for you alone are worthy. We bless you. We thank you for it is in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I want to speak to you from this text simply for a few minutes here on reasons to rejoice. Reasons to rejoice. I 
Uh, one of my favorite authors, he passed away a couple of years ago, but his name is Dallas Willard. And uh, he was uh, chair of philosophy for the USC for about 25 years, a marvelous Christian man, and uh, just wrote for the church and about growing in Christ. He uh, developed a, uh, a form of cancer that ended up taking his life, and he, uh, he would go to engagements. He could hardly ever say no to a speaking engagement where he knew he would be encouraging believers. And so right up to the point of his death, he was speaking even as the cancer was eating away at his life. And I was reading a book and then listened to an interview of him, and uh, you can see it and watch it, actually, where his face is sunken in. You can tell he's lost a lot of weight. His, his life is wasting away. And in the middle of this interview, John Ortberg says to Dallas, uh, tell us uh, things that are most important to you. And he said this, and this, this phrase has been haunting me uh, for many weeks, if not months. He said this, he said that joy cuts through it all. Joy cuts through the pain. Joy cuts through cancer. Joy cuts through hardships and trials. Joy cuts through agony, joy cuts through uh, tragedy, joy cuts through all of the issues of our life, whether we are on a high or whether we're in a low or whether we're somewhere in between. Joy cuts through everything. When you watch it and you see him saying that, you can almost see him choking back tears and just thinking and mulling that over in my mind. If, I, if my life were being taken from me at what I felt was a premature time and, and I was coming to the end of things and he felt like he had many more books to write and lectures to give and things to say, I'm not sure that I would say to a group of people, joy cuts through it all. But the longer that I thought about that and the more that I read the scripture, I find that he is absolutely right because this is maybe a definition that we can work through as we talk about joy today. Joy is a settled disposition that I am all right because God is present with me. Let me say that to you again. Joy is a settled disposition of the soul that come what may, I am ultimately all right. Even if I have cancer, even if I have tragedy or suffering or problems, joy says that ultimately I can be settled in my own heart that I am all right because I am in the care of another. That God is present with me. That he cares, that he understands, that he is the sovereign king of the universe. And whether I have cancer or whether my body is fully whole, I am completely in the care of God. And he is not in some distant planet. God is in this room today with this group of people in your life and in your heart. If you are a believer, God is with us. Amen. And that is cause for rejoicing. That is cause for joy. So that whatever fears and anxieties and frustrations that are going on, if I truly am trusting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the God of all existence is present in this room with us right now and even in our own individual lives. And because of that, joy cuts through everything. Now, we don't have time today to uh, gallivant off through a, uh, a, a rabbit trail about the difference between joy and happiness, but I do want you to know that there is some bit of difference. You might be happy when you open up that iPhone 10 on Christmas Day. You might be happy when uh, you uh, eat a good uh, Christmas dinner. 
Uh, you might be happy at the getting, getting and receiving of things, but what I want you to understand is the Bible teaches that there is a joy unspeakable. There is a joy given to us from God that cuts through all of life's issues. And it is nothing less than the very presence of the living God of heaven and his saving work in our lives. So here's the big idea today from this text as we look at it. Believers can and should rejoice. You see, rejoicing is just simply the outward manifestation of the inward joy that God has given us. When we shout, when we sing, when we praise Him, when we speak about Him, when we live for Him, it is the outward manifestation of the settled disposition of joy that God has given to us. Believers can and should rejoice greatly at the presence and the provision of God. In the context of this passage in Zephaniah 3, Zephaniah is closing his message. He takes up God's promises throughout the whole book of restoration and encouragement and future fulfillment. You see, if you were to read the first two and a half chapters of Zephaniah, you would find that the people are bad and judgment is coming. Then it is a bad day for those who are not faithful to God. But the book ends on the high note of God saying joy will return to his people. Joy cuts through our sin. Joy cuts through our heartache. Joy cuts through everything when we believe and trust in Jesus Christ. Christ has come at Christmas, giving us the gift of His provision and of His presence. So today, let's rejoice in what God has given us. Let me break this text apart with you in just two points, and we'll be finished today. First of all, from verse 14 and verse 15, I would simply say this, rejoice in what God provides. Rejoice in what God provides. Provides. Brothers and sisters, what is it that God provides? God provides salvation and God provides protection. Look back down at the text, if you will, at verse number 14. It says, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Why should you rejoice? Do you know in these few verses, verse 14 to 17, there are eight Hebrew words for the word joy or rejoicing. And four times in verse number 14, it is, has this idea of shouting or rejoicing. And so if you ever think, Pastor, you preach really loudly, I'm just trying to be obedient to the Word of God. Amen? I'm just shouting to you of the joy of Jesus Christ. Shout for joy. Oh, and then he says here, O daughter of Zion, or city of David, where the Messiah will be born, and the whole nation of Israel, right? And every nation that has the hope in Christ, and Jerusalem, where Christ would go when he lived his life and walk down the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem and be led outside of the city and hung on a cross and have a, a, a crown of thorns upon his head and nails in his hands and his feet and blood from his side and a back that was wounded for our transgressions that we might find healing in Jesus. We have reason to rejoice. Look at the reason that is given in verse number 15. For the Lord has taken away His judgments against you. Brothers and sisters, I say to you today on the authority of God, we have a reason to rejoice at the provision of God because He has made a way of escape from us. 
You see, we, all of us, are in uh, our own sins and our own transgressions. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We are sinners in need and deserving of the judgment of God. But God has moved away His judgment for those that trust in Jesus Christ. You see, this time of year, we want to talk a lot about reasons to rejoice and joy to the world. And we think about all of the sentimentality that follows the season. But I want you to understand that the real reason why we rejoice as believers, the real reason of the season is because if Christ Jesus was never born into the world through the virgin birth, if Christ never came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross and rose the third day, then there would be no joy and we would be helpless and hopeless hopeless and of all people most miserable because we are lost in our sins and you can look in your own life and find that to be the case. You speak to people the way you wish you hadn't spoken to them. You think things that you know are wrong. You say things and do things and look at things and go places and in the bottom of your heart, even if you weren't in church today, even if you weren't listening to a sermon, even if you weren't even a believer, you would have to say, I do things wrong frequently that go against my own conscience, much less God. And we live our lives as functional, addicted people to all kinds of things, whether it be to technology or to drugs or to alcohol or to television or to pornography or to relationships, whether we put undue expectations on other people, expecting them to fulfill the deepest needs of our life, and whether we find our identity in our work or in somebody else, we find ourselves as woefully miserable people falling short of the glory of God. And the good news of Christmas, the package underneath the tree that every person needs to open up and rejoice and shout and be thankful for is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. And you don't have to experience the judgments of God. And I know this is a strange message in the Western society in which we live, and you can find a thousand churches to go to that will never tell you this message, but I just want to be faithful to the Word of God and tell you so that you'll at least hear it today. We are sinful people in need of the grace of God, and Jesus died for us to take away the judgment. The Bible says that He that knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us, that we might receive the righteousness of God in him. When Jesus died, he took all of hell into himself for you. The greatest gift of all time, the, great, the greatest swap you can possibly make is your sin for Christ's righteousness. When I was younger, I would often not understand why people wouldn't give their life to Jesus. I do, I do want you to also know it is a free gift and God wants to wipe away the judgments that belong on your soul. All of the guilt and the shame that you're living with, all of those closets you don't want anybody in, the things you've done and said, even in the last week that you cringe at, God wipes all of those away at Calvary. But here's the truth. It is not just a swap. It is not just I'll take a little Jesus and put him in my back pocket and I have my get out of hell free card. When Jesus bids a man come, Bonhoeffer says, he bids him come and die. And if you want to be a Christian, you have to get sick of the dirtiness and the sinfulness of your life. You have to bow before Jesus Christ 
and lay down your life and pick up your cross and follow Him. He loves you. He'll forgive you. He'll pour out His blessings and love and mercy on your life. He'll give you, like in verse number 14, reasons to shout for joy at His provision. But you must lay down your life and follow Him. Not only the provision of the Lord, but look at verse number 15 again. So here's another reason. The Lord has taken away His judgments against you. And notice this. He has cleared away your enemies. Wouldn't you love to be able to say that? I would say that there's enemies in our life. You know, the Bible teaches in the New Testament that we have a number of enemies. One verse says this, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? The things that I long by my materialism is my own enemy. And many of you in here that have credit card debt that's racked up to the ceiling that your children will be paying for, you know that's a sin in your own life, right? You don't even need the Bible to tell you the lust of your flesh, everything, everything that gratifies you. The lust of the eyes, everything that we see that we want and the things that we know that we shouldn't and we, we just long for it and go after it. Don't you think that your heart is just like mine? Don't, listen to the verse of this song. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And there's people in this room, you don't even love God, but you know that your heart is prone to wander and go away. You know that your eyes are prone to leave your wife and look at something else. You know that your eyes are prone to look at what you don't have and lust and long and covet for something that's not there. There's envy and malice and strife and gossip in all of our hearts our hearts are an idol factory waiting for us to bow before them. It's an enemy. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Oh, the pride of life. How many times do we buy something or do something or say something so that we can impress somebody else? Oh, you might be thinking, that's not me. Sure it is. Sure it is. In fact, most of the lies that we tell are to project an image to other people. And you know what? You don't even have to open your mouth to tell a lie. You can tell a lie with your face. You can tell a lie with your actions. But you know what? The Bible also says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in high places. We have an enemy. His name is Satan, and he is against us. And the Bible teaches in this verse that one of the reasons why we have to rejoice is that our enemies have been moved away. They've been cleared out of the way. Now, you might be sitting here today thinking, well, I'm still struggling with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, and Satan is still real. Can I tell you something? This text has two comings in mind. The coming of Christmas, the incarnation, when Jesus inaugurated his kingdom, he came into the world to give salvation to those who would believe, and he would give us new hearts so that the law would not be written on tablets of stone, but on hearts of flesh. He gave us the Spirit so that we could begin to live lives that were where we were more mortifying or putting away the things of the world and longing more after Jesus. His work is taking place in us. He's given us a new heart, but the day has not been completed. And there will come a day, dear brother and sister, when Christ will come again. And all of our enemies of sin and Satan and hardship shall be pushed aside and made clear. Amen. And we can rejoice today. 
And this Christmas season, I want to give you reasons to rejoice. And the two greatest reasons here are God's provision and God's presence. And when we think about the provision of God in our life, we realize that he has moved away his own judgments over our soul. And he is clearing away all of the enemies that we are in that we might follow hard after Jesus Christ. <laughs> Remember years ago, I was at my... Uh, I was at my mother and father-in-law's house at Christmas time, and uh, I came through the room, and uh, somebody was singing "Joy to the World," and uh, you can tell my uh, my background. I walked through the room and I said, uh, "Joy to all the fishes in the deep blue sea, joy to you and me." <laughs> Jeremiah was a bullfrog. <laughs> Did you know that the uh, uh, the original uh, the original song? Joy to the World there uh, by Three Dog Night, great uh, uh, theological heroes of mine. <laughs> the first line was originally, Jeremiah was a prophet. Did you know that? And they said, no, nah, we don't like that. Let's make it bullfrog. And in fact, Three Dog Night said, what we wanted to do was just have a fun, silly, nonsensical, meaningless song. And they succeeded. Just listen to it sometime. They sold 5 million copies and spent almost 10 weeks on the top of the charts. Expressing joy over nonsensical, silly, meaningless things. And the Jeremiah in their song was not a prophet, but Zephaniah was. And Zephaniah says, you can have joy in your heart and rejoice before the Lord. Not over silly things. Not over meaningless, passing things. But over the provision of God where our just penalty for our sin has been moved away and where He is constantly removing our enemies from us that we might walk holy with our God. From verse 15 to 17, let me just give you the second reason. Rejoice in God's presence. Rejoice in God's provision. Rejoice in God's presence. Look at verse 15, the end. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more in that day. It will be said to Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord, look at it. Look at the repeating phrase again, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. My friends, I, I want you to understand that the entire Bible, and I, I hate to be categorical and, and, and pull it down, but if you said, Steve, what is the entire Bible about? It is about the availability of the presence of God with us right now by union to Jesus Christ in his life, death, resurrection, and coming again. The message of the Bible is God with us. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, 
The Bible says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He was with them. And what did they do when they sinned? They hid themselves from the presence of God. And he says, what have you done? Where are you? It's not as if God is lost or needs a GPS. It is that our sin has separated us from God. Look at the book of Exodus. And when Moses is told to go out into the land, he says to God with a brazen boldness that I would never have, I will not go unless you go with us. The design of the Bible is to remind you that God is with his people. And when Jesus was born into the world 2,000 years ago, was the greatest presence of God that could ever be given. And when Jesus ascended after his resurrection, he said, I send the Spirit of Christ myself to live in the hearts and the lives of everyone who believes on Jesus Christ. Let me say a couple of things here today. God is in this room right now. Now, I would encourage you to spend some time thinking about that. And when you leave from here today, I want you to know that there is no place that you can go where God is not. You see, if you ascend to the third heaven, He's there. And if you go to the lowest hell, you can't escape Him. In fact, the Lord Jesus upon His death descended into the pits of hell to lead captivity captive. Christ Jesus is here and real and present. Did you live any part of this last week with that consciously before your mind? When you got in your car to drive to work, did you think to yourself, now Lord Jesus, you're here. When you talk with people and made decisions and all of the events and, and things that you run through your mind, did you ever pause and say, now God, you're here with me? You see, one of the reasons for us to rejoice is that God is with us. Two things the presence of God does. Many more things, but just two from the text today. I want you to notice that in the text it says that He removes fear. The presence of God removes fear. The end of verse 15. The Lord is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said of Jerusalem, do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp as if you're nervous and fearful and you can't pick up the sword and your hands go limp and your knees start to shake. You see, when you live in the presence of God, He removes ungodly, unbiblical, and the wrong kind of fear. Now there is a fear of God that you should have all the time, right? He is the God of the universe. He is all-powerful. And the Bible says, fear not the one who can just simply kill, but the one who can kill and destroy and make alive again. He is the God of eternity. And so there ought to be a reverence in our heart and there ought to be a healthy fear of God that he's in control and that he is mighty and that if we offend him, that's a bad thing. But the Bible teaches that an ungodly fear and anxiety is cast out and driven away by the very presence of God. The Bible says in the New Testament that love casts out 
don't fear. And what is love but the very presence of the living God who is love, so John would say in 1 John. When we live in the presence of God, unhealthy, unbiblical, human-oriented fear is driven from our souls. I say, I have a hard time buying that. I would say back to you, how many days this week did you live in the conscious presence of God? He is alive and well. He is not some sort of mystical force out of Star Wars. He's here. And you can talk to Him. Not only does He remove fear, He gives His favor. Look, if you would, at verse number 17. The Lord is your God, is in your midst. Notice this phrase, a victorious warrior. And then look, look at how this passage ironically turns on its head. Do you remember in verse number 14, four times it referenced joy or singing or shouting, and it's saying to us, right? Or to the people of Zion and Israel and Jerusalem, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Look at verse number 17, brothers and sisters. There are four more mentions of rejoicing or joy or shouting, but this time it's not us who are rejoicing, but it's God who is rejoicing. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. Don't you think that's what we should be doing over God? We should be rejoicing and praising and thanking that God has had mercy on us. And when we come to Christmas time, that He gave His Son to come into the world so that we could have redemption. But this verse is teaching us that our Father is excited and joyful and exulting over His people. He will be quiet in His love. Let me come back to that. Notice with me uh, the turn here. Um, he will exult over you with joy. Then drop to the end of the verse. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Now look at the middle there and see how it's sandwiched in between. He will be quiet in His love. Well, now that's a contrast, isn't it? Or He will, be, or he will quiet you with His love. Different ways of looking at that. I don't know, many of you have seen the little, uh, the little video that's going around on Facebook. It's gone viral. It's a, um, an older man who has Parkinson's, and uh, he has the tremors. Uh, and uh, some of you might even know about those tremors and, uh, or ha have somebody or a family member who has Parkinson's. And this Parkinson's is, is really on set. It's far deep in this man's life. And uh, he is at a uh, clinical study that they're doing testing some, uh, some new technology that works on deep brain waves in the mind. And uh, so he's sitting there and they do an experiment first. They ask him to touch his nose and to touch the, the uh, finger of the lady that's there with him. And of course he can't. He, he's trembling, you know, trembling and the tremors are there and, uh, and you just begin feeling terrible for this person and you realize this is not how it should be and they ask him to pick up a cup. He can't pick up a cup and when he does, it falls and breaks and finally they take the technology, this, this kind of band they put around his neck and they, they hook these wires up a little bit and uh, everybody in the room is kind of looking in and when they turn it on and it begins to work on the brainwaves of his mind, all of the tremors stop. 
And I watched it, and brothers and sisters, as a man, you know, I don't cry, but sometimes it gets misty in the room. That's all I'm telling you, you know? And everybody that was there at the study, all of the family, and I guess everybody else that's watching it, I'm watching it. I was so excited, and the people in the room were so excited for that person that they cannot even say a word. I want you to think for a moment how incredibly different it is that the God of heaven who is holy and righteous and good looks down on human beings like us who have done terrible things, who have said things and hurt people and done things and, and quietly in your own private confessional booth, you really know who you are on the inside. And God looks down at those people who have trusted Jesus Christ to pay for their sins and give them a new heart. And that's the kind of joy that God looks at you with as his child whom he loves. And you are never intended to have the tremors of sin in your life. But because we live in a fallen world and because we make bad decisions, we mar and hurt our life. And God comes along and he does a deep brain work on us and a deep heart work on us. And it restores us. And God's happy and joyful and excited for his people. And that's what God provided for you when Jesus came into the world at Christmas time. Let me give you this and we'll draw this time to a close. I would say that I think that Dallas Willard is right. That kind of heart joy that comes from having our sins washed away and giving a new heart by Jesus cuts through it all. Christmas, right? The coming of Jesus is the epicenter of joy in the Bible. God has come to be in the midst of his people. The birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter number one and verse number 14 says there was rejoicing and joy. Mary called highly favored, which is a command to rejoice at the Redeemer's mother, Luke 1.28. The shepherds hear the news of the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 10. And there's rejoicing there. And the Magi, upon finding the infant Jesus, are overjoyed. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 10. When Christ comes into the world, it is the coming of joy. Joy to the world. For those who will trust Jesus. You don't trust Him, no joy. You do trust Him, He'll provide salvation and He'll live with you every day of your life. If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right where you are, if the Lord is moving on your heart, right where you are in your own mind, even while I'm speaking, Talk with God. I know I've sinned. I, I, there's no way I could ever be as holy as you.
Somehow I believe, I want to believe that Jesus is your son and that he died for even me and rose again. I'll lay down my life and I'll follow him all the days of my life. From a sincere and a humble heart, you talk to him and ask him to save you. And he will. So how, how do I know if that transaction takes place? You'll come back and join the rest of these believers. You'll start loving believers, wanting to learn and live for Jesus with all of your heart. What's the church for? We come alongside and help you do that. Maybe you're in this room today and you are a believer. Did you live in the presence of a real God this week? You have to fight as a believer to make Christ tangibly real in your life daily. So this week, invite Him into everything that you do. And He'll be there. And He'll take away his, all of our fears. And He'll give us His favor. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes for a minute. Heads are bound. Eyes are closed. I just simply would say to you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Trust Him right now. Just ask Him to save you. Commit your life to Him. You say, I don't, I don't know about all this. I need to talk to somebody. We're, we're here this week. Talk to me. Call me. Don't leave the same. Trust Jesus. If you're a believer here today, if you're not consciously talking to Christ as if He's in the same room with you, you need to work at that. Christianity is not something that you do on Sundays. Christianity is something you live every day. So why don't you talk to Him right now and commit to that as well. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.